0: Here at Doxodo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoy today's message. Can I ask you to open up a Bible this morning, if that's all right? If you don't have one, grab one at the back or on your phone. Please make sure that you have a Bible in front of you. And we are in the book of Acts. You can turn to the New Testament, the second half of your Bible, the book of Acts, Chapter 8, verse 26. Chapter 8, verse 26. So we're in a series that we're calling those Jesus people as we continue to preach through the book of Acts. And the book of Acts tells the story of the early church. So post the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you have this early church, these young people that have been rejuvenated. They've been renewed and restored by Jesus. And now they are seeing their city and their environment restored and renewed by Jesus. Jesus, just my, I think this thing might be on in the front, Maurice. I think one of the, uh, these guys might be on because I'm feeding like crazy. Is that all right? Just help me with that for a second. Book of Acts. So what we see on the December 5th, when we end the series is Acts 11, 26 says the following. The disciples, the Jesus followers, they were first called Christians Antioch. So, for the first time ever in the history of the human race, these Jesus followers were not known as Galileans or they were not known as followers of the way, they became known as Christians, people all about Christ. So, Beyonce has the Bay Hive, and Justin Bieber has the believers, and Jesus people had jesus here we see a church that was not known for its devotion to politics or holy wars or its opposition to things anti-gay or anti-science or whatever they were primarily known for one thing their devotion to a person jesus his truth his life his grace they were known for their obsession with this man and i want to say that is exactly what south africa needs This is what our country and our city needs, a people known for its saturatedness with this person, Jesus, with his love, his truth, his grace, his way of living and thinking, those Jesus people. And we've been looking at some of the characteristics, that they are a people of life, of service, of power, a whole bunch of things. And today we want to see that they are a people of good news, a people of good news. Now, this passage, as we get to Acts chapter 8, very famous, Philip that we met last week, he has this interaction with a man from North Africa, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, this very famous passage of Scripture. And usually we speak about it in the context of evangelism, sharing your faith with friends and neighbors and colleagues. But I'm going to sidestep that for today, because the reason is next year, 2022, the whole Doxadeo global family is going to have a focus on faith, seeing that people meet Jesus what is the good news how do I share the good news how do I live a good news how do I work it into my actual way of living so we're going to spend a ton of time on that next year and so instead this morning I want us to look at the the person who needs the good news the most in your life do you know who that is the guy in your seat this morning Yes, I believe that many people in our city are in need of the good news who do not yet know Jesus and the life that comes from him. My life was radically changed, not by religion, but by Jesus in the church. But the person who most needs the gospel, the good news today, is me. Friends, the good news, the gospel is not something that I believed once about some dead guy and something like that. And now I just try and be a good person. You know, Norm MacDonald, he's a famous comedian. But unfortunately, a couple of weeks ago, he passed away after a long battle with cancer. And once when he was asked about religion, he said the following. He said, you know, my pastor, he's just a pleasant guy. But his sermons are always like how to be a nice person or some such nonsense. (laughs) Isn't that tragic? That's how most people perceive Christianity. It's about this Jesus guy. And then you try really hard to be a good person. And you don't experience joy. You don't experience, you know, life to the full. You don't feel free. You feel oppressed. You feel drained. Like trying to be a good person is really hard work. And I want to show us today that the good news, the gospel is not the ABCs of the faith. You believe this stuff and then you move on to the real good stuff. The real, you know, the meat of the faith. There is nothing greater than the gospel. You don't move past the good news of the gospel, you just go deeper into the good news of the gospel. Amen. Every single year, every week, day, month, year, decade of your life, we need to move deeper into massage the good news like oil into the 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 you know the muscle tissue of your faith. That's how we become a people of good news. And if you're not a Christian this morning, you are going to see what the key of Christian living is all about. Amen. A people of good news. Let's read together. Acts eight twenty-six. It says, An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's the desert road. And so he got up and he went. And there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, And a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and he was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join the chariot. And when Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? Well, how can I? He said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the scripture passage that he was reading was this. He was like a sheep led to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice is denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about? Is it himself or someone else? And Philip proceeded to tell him about the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. And as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. What would keep me from being baptized? And so he ordered the chariot to stop. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. The eunuch did not see him any longer, but he went on his way rejoicing. What a passage. (laughs) And I just want to show us this morning, at least, you know, Lachai is excited about that. So thank you, Lachai. I want to just, for illustration this morning, I want us to do something really quickly. Take your one hand and grab your forearm. Like this. Now, I'm going to ask us to squeeze your forearm for five seconds. I'm mean, going to count this down in a second as hard as you can. Can we do that? So, three, two, one, squeeze. Come on. Five, four, three, two, one. Uh, okay, you can relax. Some of you guys are like, that's the most exercise I got this whole week. So, why did you do that to me? Why am I, why am I asking us to do that? Because here's the strange thing. Science tells us that your grip strength, is one of the best indicators of your general health. Did you know that? So there's a study over four years of 140,000 people in 17 countries that showed for every five kilogram decrease in your grip strength, you have an almost 20% increase in all of your health risk factors. So in other words, as strange as it sounds, people who have a strong grip, have a strong grip on their health, right? Here's what I want us to see this morning in this passage. People who have a continually developing strong grip on the good news of the gospel are people whose faith go from strength to strength to strength, even in the difficult times, even when I'm struggling, even when it's depression, when there's cancer in my family, even when the economy is falling apart and it's tomorrow, you know, we decide where the country's going, all that stuff. No, it's the people who have a strength of grip on the gospel, every day of my life that's developing, I will flourish in my faith. And you begged me this morning, Joe, tell me, how do I develop that strength? I'm just working the crowd a little bit, right? So how do I develop that strength? And here is the secret formula that we've never spoken about in Hatfield. It's the Word of God, it's the Spirit of God, and it's the people of God. And you say, Joe, that's always what we say. And I say, that's Right, because it's the truth. It's not moving past those things. It's moving deeper into those things. So point number one, let me show you from the passage. Arrange your life according to those three things. Arrange your life according to the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God. And first up, it looks like this. Arrange your life so that the Spirit of God transforms your thinking. Arrange your life so that the Spirit of God transforms your thinking. Get with me in the Bible in verse 26. Highlight this. It says, the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. And then verse 29, it says, the Spirit told Philip, go and join the chariot. So do you see that from the very beginning, the Holy Spirit is the one that's directing, that's intervening, that's pointing toward We often think you read the book of Acts, you're like, Joe, but those people, they were like different and holy and like, it's a long time ago. They're not like me. Friends, Philip was like you. He would never do this on his own. Never. It was the Holy Spirit that had to nudge him and say, listen, go down to that road and go and meet up with that man. And now he's like, you know, he comes up next to this chariot, he's like, hey, you know, do you understand what you're reading there, my friend? And he's like, no, I don't actually. Can you help me with this? Philip was an introvert, friends. Manito Mingle was intimidating to Philip as well. So what do we see? Every single time that the, that the Holy Spirit wanted someone in the book of Acts, you'll see this all over the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 10, when we get to it now, you're going to see the same again. When God wanted someone to break through their old way of thinking, for instance, culturally, reach out to someone who's not like you. When Philip now has to reach out to a man from North Africa as a Jewish man, when later Peter has to reach out to a Gentile man in Cornelius, the Holy Spirit has to basically beat them over the head to get them to do it. Why? Because their thinking is still stuck in old ways. Who's in? Who's out? Who's up? Who's down? Who are the people of superiority and inferiority? Your thinking can still be stuck in old ways, and you will live in those old ways. Ways. Amen? He's involved everywhere. So, in other words, who is the one who produces this life change season in and season out? It wasn't Philip. It wasn't the Ethiopian. It is the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God who comes to renew and strengthen and change us from the inside out. He is the one who comes to transform our thinking that we have about who I am and my worth and my my struggles and my background and my future and how I think about money and sex and power and status. He comes to shape those things from the inside into the picture that God has over your life. And that, friends, is the ceiling of your faith. Do I think in the same vein that God thinks about me and those around me? Because if I'm still stuck, if the tape that plays in my mind, if the narrative that I live according to, if the the thoughts that you most nurture in your heart, if it's focused on your sin from the past, if it's focused on how inferior you feel, or how unqualified you feel, if it maybe focuses on how how strong you feel you are compared to other people, how superior you are, or your culture, how much better it is than other people. If it's focused on the fact that politics will make or break our country, and that is your focus, then that is where you will live. Because the quality of our thinking determines the quality of our living. The direction of your thinking will determine the direction of your life. And the Holy Spirit says, I want to come and transform, renew, Romans 12, to renew your thinking to match up with God's thinking. So here's my action item for you. Very, very practical this morning. You're going to laugh at me. So many things we could say about the Spirit, but I want to challenge you with this. Are you listening to music that speaks to your soul and reminds you of the good news of Jesus? Friends, I am stoked for a bit of Metallica in the gym. I will tell you that. But I know that I know that there are moments in my day that I need to hear the good news spoken over my soul once again. I need to hear it when I'm getting ready for my day, when I'm in the car with my kids, I want to listen to something that's not superficial and that's you know shallow. Oh, Jesus, you're good and life is good. No, I want to hear the good news spoken over my heart again. Because my mind is so occupied, it's so filled with the world's narrative and the people's narrative and the city's narrative and what success and status is all about, I need to have that thought interrupted with truth. So Google, go onto Apple Music or or go onto any of the platforms and go and search Docs at You will find a playlist that has depth of character for your soul. What are you listening to? Is it reminding you? Is it allowing the Holy Spirit to come and transform your thinking to match up with God's reality? And secondly, what do we see here? Philip is not a, he's not a hero, friends. He's not a great man. He simply obeys what he hears the Spirit saying. Can I just, as a second practical, give you this? Whatever the Spirit says to you just in your mind, in your heart, it's not rocket science. It doesn't have to be like this big banner in the sky. Just do that next thing. If he says that colleague of yours, just go and comfort them today, do it. If he says that person in your family, you were too harsh with them, just go and bear your soul and apologize, do it. If there's a moment where you can be spectacularly generous in response to Jesus with your money, do it. Because what we see here is the more I obey the Holy Spirit in the small things, the better I begin hearing the Spirit in the big things. Let your life be arranged in the way that the Holy Spirit will come and change your thinking. Amen? Secondly, we see this. Arrange your life, not just that the Spirit of God, but that the people of God would transform your habits. Not just the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God transforming your thinking, but the people of God transforming your habits. The two questions that the Ethiopian asks, I think it gives us the context for where life transformation takes place. What's his first question? Verse 31, highlight this. He says, how can I know what this passage is about unless someone, what, guides me? Unless someone guides me. And his second question was this. Look, here's water. What would keep me from being baptized? He asks. Now, that first question is shocking if you understand something about who this man is. So, who's this man? First up, it says that he was the treasurer of the whole of the Ethiopian empire at that time. Friends, that's massive. This guy is the CFO. He is the cabinet minister. He is right at the top of the pile. He is a man of ultra-high status. Secondly, it says he can read. Just thinking like, okay, that's not a thing. In that time, do you know how few people could read? This man was incredibly privileged. He was a man of intellectual and academic prowess. And thirdly, what does it say about this man? He owned an Isaiah scroll. Friends, there was no you version on your phone. There was no library or a bunch of books that you lugged around. To have a scroll like this, you had to be incredibly rich. So here's a man who's intellectually and academically astute. He's powerful, and he's a man of high status. That's who this man is. And now imagine the first question. So now Philip comes up next to his chariot here, and he's like, Hey, my mate, do you understand what you're reading? All right, And what does he not say? Which I think will be the logical thing for a man like him to say. You know what? No, I don't understand it. I, I, I imagine him like with a Joburg accent for whatever reason. But it's like, no, my bro. I don't understand right now, but I will understand. You know, I didn't get into the place that I am in life by listening to people like you who don't even have a chariot of your own. So, you know what? I don't get it now, but I will get it. I don't need your help. That's not what he says. What does he say? He admits his need for assistance. He says, No, actually, I don't know. Are you willing to step into my sphere and bring assistance to my life? He says, I need someone. Friends, we would never have heard of this moment or this person in history if he was not willing to invite people into his life. He's vulnerable. He admits, I don't know what's going on here. He opens himself up to a new moment of connection of community. And it's there that something happens. Do you see that? And the second question, the same thing. Look at that. He says, should I get baptized? He doesn't say to Philip, listen my brew, baptize me. He says, should I get baptized? What is he saying? I'm asking that you would evaluate my faith, speak into my faith, come alongside my faith. In other words, what even baptism is an expression of what? Of community. You don't baptize yourself there in the bathtub at home. You need people around you for that. So what is it saying? It's saying, yes, the Holy Spirit is the agent of life change, the powerhouse of life change internally. But community is the context for life change. Community is the context for life change. Friends, there's a way that you can do church where you are basically isolated. You come late, like this morning, and you stick around for a couple of minutes, and you get your inspiration, and then you go again. And it's just you. You don't want to you know, be involved. I don't want to serve somewhere. I don't want to commit myself to a community group. I don't want to make a new maybe set of friends that will now maybe some of them are a couple of steps further than I am in faith and I can genuinely bear my heart and my soul with them. I can share my doubts and my struggles with them. I can be inspired by them. I can learn what it means to minister and to teach and to walk this road and I can do the same for them. I don't want that. I just want me and Jesus, just the two of us, just my coffee and my devotional and we are well on our way. Can I just speak on behalf of the men this morning? That's exactly how we are. Men like competence. Isn't that true? We like competency in other men. If you see a man who's competent in business or in sports or in music... If you invite your friend over for FIFA and he actually, you know, whips your butt, you're like, I respect this man deeply. Like, there's competency that I recognize. That's like a generational thing I see this morning. So there's, a, there's an issue of competence that we appreciate. And so what happens? I step into the church as a man. Jesus is drawing me to faith. And I feel stupid. I feel incompetent because I realize some of this faith stuff, I don't feel very competent in it. But here's the rub, friends. You as a man, as a man for me, I will never progress into the man that God has destined me to be if I'm a lone ranger. If I'm standing at the back and I'm still hanging back, I will never become the man that God has destined you to be. Because the Bible says when you become converted by the Spirit into faith, when you are transferred into the kingdom of God, at that same moment, you are transferred into a new community. You are transferred into a body. It's a modern myth, friends, that we believe that I am the result of my choices. I will decide who I am. I will cut a path through the grass for myself. Give me a break, seriously. Really, you are the result of the people you hang out with, full stop. And so how can we say, God, I want a new and thriving faith without a new and thriving community? The old self comes from the old community, so the new self will come from the new community. The Holy Spirit is the agent of life change, but community is the context of that life change. Amen? Mm, okay. So let me give you an action step. Guys, we, it's like it's uphill battle. It's uphill battle this morning, but we will get there. Action item for you, friends, very simple. Devote yourself to community. Don't casually engage. Devote yourself to the people of God. Here's one practical way of doing that. Sundays and Wednesdays, it's a given. The people that I most deeply respect in the Christian faith, businessmen, teachers, people that don't work for the church, they are people who without fail say on a Sunday, I'm with the people of God. On a Wednesday in community group, I'm with the people of God unless something genuinely harrowing happens in my life. And guess what? Feeling a bit tired at the end of a Wednesday is not one of those things. That's how I have felt for the last 12 years before community group. Realizing you need to wash your hair Thursday morning, that's not a harrowing situation, friends. Now, I need to say the people of God is a priority for me. I don't wait until I find value in them and then I commit. I commit and the value comes from that. And secondly, friends, this is so crucial. Does someone in this church genuinely know you? Does someone in this church genuinely know you? Do they celebrate you in the moments where you are thriving? And do they strengthen you in the moments that you are genuinely struggling and low? Does someone in this church know you? I speak to myself this morning because that can change today. Pick up the phone, men. WhatsApp is a thing in 2021. Mark Zuckerberg's not going to read your messages. You can send someone a message and say, hey, coffee, my place this week. I want to make a change. I want to arrange my life that the people of God would transform my habits. And lastly, not just the spirit of God and the people of God, but arrange your life so that the word of God would transform your desires. That the word of God would transform your desires. We see in this passage that the eunuch is reading from Isaiah 53, verse 7 to 8. That's in the Old Testament. And just when Philip joins him, that's what he's reading. So in this climactic moment of this man's life, he is going through this incredible moment of transformation, and I don't think we understand this moment until we understand some of the background of this man's life and where some of you guys find yourself this morning. Who is this man? Firstly, we've already said he's powerful, he's a man of high status, and he's wealthy. But secondly, it says he's a eunuch. What does that mean? Friends, in their culture... Some of you are smiling because you think, oh, I'm going to explain this. In their culture... <laughs> The men, the royal men of all these different, you know, royal houses, they would not trust common people who came through the ranks. They would not trust them with the royal females. So you would never rise through the ranks to where this guy came unless you were castrated. Your manhood has been removed so that you can be, you can laugh, it's funny, it's a kind of a joke, um, not really, but I can see on your face. Um. You would not get to that position unless that has been done to you. And friends, you shouldn't be shocked by this because we operate exactly the same today. In Gauteng, you do not get to the top of the pile unless you are willing to sacrifice the things that are dear to you. You don't get to the, the top of your sector or your business or your field unless you are willing to get rid of relationships, your marriage, your family, the people close to you. If you're not willing to get rid of your faith and spiritual commitments, if you're not willing to get rid of your emotional health, we sacrifice to get to the top. And that's exactly what he did. He paid a massive price to be where he is. And thirdly, what's the third thing we realize about this guy? He's not happy. He is spiritually, emotionally, existentially, he's empty. How do we know that? Well, where does it say he comes from? From Ethiopia. Friends, according to the Jewish people, Ethiopia was like the end of the world. Your ship would fall off the edge of the world at Ethiopia. It's like hundreds of miles away. So this guy comes basically from the ends of the Earth. And what does it say in verse 27? It says, "He had come to Jerusalem to what? To worship in the temple. And now he was sitting in his chariot on his way home. So think about this. Think about him telling all of the people in his sphere, guys, I'm going to take off a couple of months from work. I'm going to go on this very treacherous and long journey. And I'm going to go and worship in the temple in Jerusalem. Can you imagine all of them like, why? Why would you do that? Like we have all these religions. We have all these gods. We have all these temples. Why would you do this? There's only one reason, because he is empty. Because he is in super spiritual seeking mode. I have made it to the top of the pile and I've gotten there and emotionally and existentially I'm empty. I'm seeking for something that I can't find. And now listen to this. This is an important thing about the trip. He would not know this until he got to the temple. When he would get to the doors, you know what they would tell him? eunuchs are not allowed in that was one of the rules from the old testament a whole bunch of different people were not allowed to worship in the temple one of them sexually altered people like eunuchs so imagine this he has a high-powered high status wise intellectual man who is in a spiritual seeking mode he's empty on the inside he goes on this long journey And he gets to the temple, and they say, You, your kind, not allowed. Can you imagine the rejection as this man is going back on this journey? Can you imagine how distraught he is? How confused he is? And what is he doing? So now he's searching in the scroll of Isaiah, he's trying to find answers. And we know from what he's reading that he's kind of in the 50s in Isaiah. So his his eyes, they definitely land upon this passage. Isaiah 56, verse 3. And this must have hit him like a ton of bricks. It says, The eunuch should not say, look, I'm a dried up tree. I have no fruit. For the Lord says this, The eunuch who keeps my Sabbath, who chooses what pleases me, who holds firm to my covenant, I will give them in my house. A name better than sons and daughters. I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. Can you imagine that? He, he's like, "What? How's that possible? How can you have an everlasting name? How can you have descendants like that? Because, friends, he lived in a time where descendants were everything. Having sons and daughters who take your name forward, that was of ultimate value. And so then he comes to Isaiah 53, verse 4, that says this. Yet he himself bore our sickness. He carried our pains. Verse 5. He was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. And then when Philip joins him, it says he's reading this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb that's silent before its shearer, he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? And he sees who is this figure who willingly becomes a eunuch, who is cut off from the life of the living, who has no descendants, who willingly allows himself to experience injustice for me who is willing to be cut off from the life of the living for me. He's like, who is this figure? And then Philip comes up next to him and he says, I know who that is. Who is he speaking about? He's not speaking about a great prophet or a great teacher or a great man or the founder of another religion. He says, this is God who steps into human affairs in history, in tangible expression. And in the person of Jesus, God comes to substitute himself For me and for you. And in that moment, when that struck him at the very core of his being, that for me, that God would step in and give of himself, transformation came. This man's life was never the same again. Maybe Philip told them, listen, you know what sin is? Sin is when man substitutes himself for God. I stand at the middle of the universe. It's my rules and my morality and my way. I'm the captain of my soul. But you know what redemption is? You know what grace is? What love is? It's when God in Jesus substitutes himself for us. And he says, what you fully deserved, I can put myself in that place. I go to the cross. I defeat death and brokenness and sin. I am cut off from the life of the living so that you would have life to the full. I become unclean, Jesus says, so that you would be cleansed in the presence of God forever. So that no one in the kingdom would ever say, you're kind, not welcome. No, Jesus says, He's mine. She's mine. And when that, the self sacrificing substitution of God for love, when that hit this status, high, wealthy, accomplished man, he melts on the inside. And he says, Here's what? Can I be baptized? You now, friends, in closing. There's a guy called John Miltimore. He writes for Time Magazine. And he says, speaking about movies, he says, you know, our culture has changed in a great many ways since I was a youngster. But in some ways, the movies have not. He says the most powerful idea in cinema remains the same. What is it? Self-sacrifice. And listen to this. He says, but it would be a mistake to overlook just how Christian This idea is. Multimore says you can look at all these hundreds of movies, Saving Private Ryan, How to Train Your Dragon 2, Beauty and the Beast, Inside Out, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Star Wars Rogue One, Terminator 2, Logan, Hodor and Game of Thrones, Frozen, Stranger Things, on and on. And what's the common theme? In fact, the two biggest franchises of the last 10 years by sheer numbers, the Marvel Cinematic Universe as it culminates in Endgame and the Harry Potter series, the two biggest franchises in terms of numbers, where do both of them climax in their story? Self-sacrifice. And we sit in the cinema and we are struck, we are brought to tears, and we think this is too much for me to handle in this moment. And we are struck by someone who self-sacrifices And it's not even for us. So imagine the moment that you realize how deeply lost you feel. Friends, the reason that more people are not in spiritual seeking mode like the Ethiopian eunuch, is because we still believe the lie, many of us, that if I can just get to the top of the pile, if I can just get to the top of my, you know, of my, of my company, of my, of my empire, if I can just marry that person, if I can just move into that neighborhood, if I can just go overseas, if I can just make enough money, then I will have that peace, that, you know, that fulfillment. But he shows us what's happened over and over again. Those who have truly, the lucky few, who have made it to the top of the pile, They say emotionally, there's nothing there. And imagine if you're in that place, at the genuinely end of your rope as a man, and you see, not a fairy tale, but you see a God who steps into human affairs, who's on a cross, and with tears in your eyes, you say, are you dying for me? And he says, yes, for you. Friends, it's the depth of that it says, starting with that passage, Philip points him to Jesus. It's the depth of that understanding day in, day out that will, that will determine the depth of my faith. You know, one of, the, one of the greatest theologians of the last hundred years, Karl Barth, he's a German. He once went to America and all these people, are, they're kind of fluffing around him like, oh, he's a celebrity, he's this is great academic and whatever. And someone asks him, hoping for this deep answer, what is the most profound truth in the Christian faith? Sticks this mic in his face. And with tongue in cheek, he says this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so you never go further than the Gospel. You only go deeper into the self-substituting sacrifice of a God for love. Friends, the Word of God, can I just leave you with this? If you and me, if we are not reading the Bible every day of our lives, and can I just encourage you with this? Don't read the Bible, men to primarily firstly see what you can do for God. Read the Bible every day before you go to work to once again see what God has done in Jesus for you. Don't primarily read for information. Read for revelation and let it melt your soul once again. We will become a people of good news when we structure, arrange our lives, that the Holy Spirit would transform our thinking, when we structure our lives so that the people of God would come and transform our habits, and when we structure our lives that the Word of God would come and transform our desires, our affections. The strength of the grip that you have on the gospel will be the strength of your faith season in, season out. Amen? Maybe the worship team can join me. And let's stand together as we just pray. Jesus, I pray this morning that we would not be known as people of good morals, primarily just people of Sunday habits, people that swear a bit less, try their hardest to be good. But we would be people who are so convinced of the good news of Jesus. That God, nothing is more true of the person standing here today who is in Christ than who they are in Christ. God, may every lie just fall before your throne today. May every enemy, God, every every deceiver, may every pain and struggle, may all of it just fall before the throne of the King today. May you raise up men today to know that you love them and that you have given yourself for them, that they are sufficient, God, that they are adequate, they are qualified because of you. May we be people of good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.